Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. (laughs) Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? (laughs) Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 8. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four stories for you about vicious voices, deadly decisions, ruinous replications, and small-town terrors. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two terrifying tales. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com 
and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us from a very talented anonymous author. In it, we'll meet Patty, a girl with a fear of something many other children her age share, the dark. But when Patty hears what she believes to be her mother's voice one night, she may just discover that it's not the dark you need to be afraid of. It's what's in the dark you need to worry about. Without further ado, I present to you Saccharin. Ever since she was small, Patty Carson had been fearful of the dark, as was almost every small child, which is to be expected, since children tend to be afraid of things they don't yet understand, things that they can't quite see with their eyes but with their minds, things that their parents can't quite protect from since they aren't real, things that wait until you're alone, solitary, and left with your thoughts. They take the shape of the shadow of the dresser, the wind in the curtains, the rustling of tree branches on window panes, or the flickering of a street lamp. They slip into the corners of your eyes, their eyes glowing, but not quite there. These are the devils that most children have to face when they try to sleep, as they try to ignore the shifting in the darkness by pulling their comforters over their heads. This, however, wasn't quite why Patty was scared of the dark. No, she was more practical than that. What she was haunted by, she didn't believe to be real at all, which is extremely unlike most children. However, this did not negate the fact that it only took one night for a terribly deep and irrational fear of the darkness to be planted into her small head there to stay for years. One night in the summer of 1995, that was by most means an ordinary night to anyone else, even though it wasn't. Good night, Patty. A small voice broke through the still dark of the bedroom, making Patty jump. She clicked her flashlight off from under her nearly suffocating position under the comforter hoping to the heavens above that she hadn't been caught reading after she was supposed to go to bed. She waited for a few moments, fiddling with the bottom of her nightgown in feverish anxiety as the seconds ticked by on the small alarm clock on her nightstand. It was one of those antique-looking ones, the ones that were in the shape of a circle and was equipped with two bells that would, when the set time came, ring rather enthusiastically as they were hit mercilessly by the small lever that was sticking out of a hole in the top. Patty both loved and hated that clock, both for its cute blue and green design and its incessant ringing in the mornings when she had to go to school, respectively. Patty, 
Patty! The voice called again, sounding a bit more agitated than before. With a small sigh, Patty lifted her head from her covers, seeing that her sister was wide awake and looking at her from across their shared and darkened room, her eyes twinkling with mischief and slight annoyance at the way her older sibling had ignored her. Her dark hair had been pulled out of its signature messy pigtails for the night, though there were still remnants of the scruffy mess it had been not an hour ago. If anything could be ascertained from the one single crease in her mahogany locks that the elastics had left behind. Yeah, what is it? Patty's voice was almost a growl, and she hunkered down once again into her sheets before her little sister could answer. A frustrated huff resounded through the room, but the elder of the two girls paid no mind to it. She didn't often take kindly to people who interrupted her precious reading sessions, and that included her sibling. Sometimes, even more so than others, much to the annoyance of their parents. Nothing, Jess. Wanted to say goodnight. Patty's little sister, whose name was in fact Celia, seemed to be pouting from across the room, her childish slurs making it worse than it should have been. Patty could just tell. There was absolutely no way she wasn't. Celia was five, so she was going to pout and cry and scream and kick when she didn't get what she wanted. Despite being only eight, Patty knew this. Luckily, there had been no tears this time. The elder of the two felt the crease that had been formed between her eyebrows lessen a bit and she let out a small breath of air, almost a hump, but not quite. It could have been a sigh, but it was quiet for that, too. Not that Patty cared. She finally let a small smile cross her plush, childish lips. Yeah, yeah, good night to you, too, was the eventual response, and without another word, Patty roughly turned herself away from the conversation making a small show of rustling the covers and turning away from Celia. A small giggle was heard and more rustling. I love you, sissy. Patty gulped heavily at that. She wasn't used to her sister actually saying that out loud. It wasn't that they didn't love each other. Far from it, actually. True, they had their quarrels, sometimes even more often than others. But they were relatively close for siblings, and Patty was proud of that fact. However, it wasn't often where they would verbally admit their affections for one another, if at any time at all. So it had been quite shocking for Patty to hear it then, in such a random moment. It also left her with a foreboding feeling of sorts, but since she did consider herself to be rather clever and level-minded, despite the fact that she had no idea what exactly level-minded meant. She shook it off, settling for another smile that would go unseen by Celia in the low light. The only witness of her sleepily happy expression was the bumpy surface of the now grayish-blue-looking wall and a stuffed panda bear that her father had bought her at the zoo once. The bear itself was pink, 
though it couldn't readily be deciphered in the shallow darkness. Love you too. Now go to sleep or Mom will be mad. Patty's warning elicited a small gasp from the girl opposing her, and more rustling sheets were heard. Then it was silent once more. The clock ticked on ominously. Though Patty only paid heed to the rhythmic sound, count the seconds, bobbing her head softly with each number until she reached sixty. It was a ritual of hers, to wait exactly a minute before trying to read under her covers after the lights had been turned off, or to put it more into perspective when she was finished with a late-night conversation with Celia. Most older folk would agree that only one minute was far too short to be waiting for the coast to clear, but even Patty, who was rather mature for her age, was still eight years old, and a minute was the absolute longest that she could wait before she got antsy. One minute in her childish mindset was plenty. Light snowing could be heard as Patty sat up slowly and quietly, her round eyes locking on the sleeping figure of her sister in her fluffy pink comforter. Though she couldn't really see the pink, it was tinted to a more gray color by the moonlight streaming through the shared curtains. It wasn't really that she had anything to worry about, since she knew all too well that Celia was a decently deep sleeper. An incident with the stove had assured both her and her parents of that. However, she didn't want to take any chances. After all, her book was waiting for her, and at the climax, too. There was no way that she'd let her sister catch her now. A single, small hand reached carefully from the confines of Patty's bed. Its small fingers groped mindlessly around the top of her nightstand, appearing almost like a large spider that can't seem to locate its web. And though most spiders would indeed find their webs, if they were in the right place, Patty's hand did not find what it sought. There was no book on her nightstand, nor was there any clunky flashlight. She was nearly absolutely sure that she had set them there, almost positive, but there was not where she had set them, apparently. Patty didn't tend to be forgetful, even at the worst of times. She never forgot her homework, nor where she left her lunch when she was at school, or even Celia's secret stash of black licorice. No, she liked to pride herself on distinctly remembering where she put each and everything that she possessed, even though she sometimes failed in that pride. This was why a chill ran up and down her spine when her hand touched nothing but the smooth surface of her wooden nightstand and the cool metal surface of that cute but horrible alarm clock. Her first worry was that her parents had somehow confiscated her book and her flashlight. She may or may not have taken it from her father's desk drawer while she was saying goodnight to Celia, but that thought was quickly banished. How in the world could they have done it anyway? They can't teleport like in the cartoons that they watched on Saturdays. Patty's mind whirled in a way that only a small child's mind would whirl, 
filling with irrational thoughts about her parents, screaming at her once the morning came, telling her to stop reading before bed, Patty. You know that you shouldn't. You have school. And if you don't get good sleep, you'll get bad grades, Patty. You need good grades to read, Patty. It wasn't as if they said these things to her on a regular basis, forbid the thought. However, the subtle glances had been enough. Worried eyes over the counter as she ate breakfast, nearly falling asleep in her oatmeal. Stern stares over the morning paper as she slowly got ready for school each morning. Heading out the door with a small wave and a soft goodbye, Mom and Dad. I'll see you after school. Patty was sure that she knew what they were thinking. Patty, you read too much for your age. You should play more with other kids. Patty. Patty, little Patty. We know you use our old flashlight at night to read until dawn. It's not good for you, baby girl. You know it isn't, Patty. A soft blink of her chocolate-brown eyes put an end to those scenarios. Patty's hand clenched as she practically yanked it back into her covers, swallowing thickly as her eyes scanned her room, not for the first time. She silently wondered to herself as she did this, watching as shapes seemingly wormed and swarmed across her vision, swarming in the shadows, hinting at things that would have any other child powering under their bedsheets. Patty had long since taught herself not to fear these lying shadows, telling her overactive brain to ignore it and continue on to the next page. Always the next page. At least, she never got nightmares. However, right at that moment, as her thoughts swirled just as the shadows did, her mind came to a screeching halt as it grasped an idea, an awful idea, truly, and one that she was afraid to admit, afraid to admit to being afraid of the idea. If her parents couldn't have taken her book and her flashlight, then who had? It seemed like hours for Patty as she lay there, silent, frozen, under her comforter, which was actually rather warm and cozy. The familiar material did nothing to comfort her, her breathing shallow as her wide eyes tried to keep themselves from blinking. Who had taken her book? Who had done it? Celia was asleep and all the way across the room. Besides, Patty would have heard her if she'd gotten up. There was no way that she would have done it. So what had? Wait, what had done it? Patty shook her head furiously, pressing her tiny fists against her forehead in an attempt to push the foreign thoughts out of her mind. What did she mean, what? It had to have been either Mom, Dad, or Celia. There was no one else who could have done it. Stop being so silly. Her eyes clenched shut, her knees curling together, and her feet brushing against what felt like a sock that had been long lost within her bedding and had never been picked up. Patty tried to focus on that sock for a long moment, wondering whether or not she would have gotten a light but slightly scolding whip on the head 
for it from her mother's rolled-up crosswood book. She probably would have. Just go to sleep, Patty. You can ask Mom or Dad in the morning. Patty's own voice resounded within her head, and she tried to calm her breathing even a little bit. Her heart felt like that of a rabbit's, beating 100 miles per minute. It wasn't as though she actually knew how fast a rabbit's heart beat, but she was sure that hearts didn't beat in miles. But the expression seemed to fit the situation, and her father had used it in many different situations, all having to do with your heart beating out of your chest. It seemed appropriate, since it really did feel like her heart was beating in miles. She felt it in her ears, in her palms, in her throat, It seemed like the fright that the loss of a simple book was harder to escape than she had thought. Kathunk! A small squeal of fright pushed past Patty's lips at the sudden noise, and she quickly buried her face in her hands. Somewhere in the back of her mind, a rational voice crooned, It's nothing to worry about, Patty. It's probably just some animal from outside. Patty, just go to sleep. However, that part of her mind was cruelly stamped out once she managed to peek past her hands and into the severely darkened hallway. The usually cheerful blue wallpaper that covered the interior of the hallway was nowhere to be seen, cloaked by the black shadows that now encompassed it. The light from her window could only illuminate so much, and that light only reached out so far, only about two feet outside her door, before melting away, giving into the darkness of the night. That light, the usually comforting blue-gray of the moon, only served to frighten the poor girl more. And it wasn't so much the moonlight, but what it illuminated that brought on this new fear. There was her book, lying face down in the hallway, looking innocent as if it had been there the whole time. Patty knew for a fact that it had not. Chocolate-brown eyes snapped up from the ominous book, staring into the darkness as a deer stares at a wolf, just as it's being trapped, a stare that held fear, pure and sharp, as it waited patiently for the claws of its predator to close upon them, for those hungry jaws to snap around their neck like a rat caught in a trap waited for death. It seemed as if Patty's feet worked on their own accord, stepping from the warm and safe confines of her bed and comforter, her head abandoning her fluffy pillow. They slowly padded across the cold hardwood floor, watching for any familiar creaky boards. The only sound that Patty seemed to hear were her own nearly silent footsteps, her soft breathing, and the beating of her own heart as it pounded into her ears. Her hand shakily twitched as it reached down, down to the surface of the floor, sweaty fingers clasping over the slightly worn cover of her book, her eyes staying upwards, watching for any movements within the shadows. That small, rational voice in the back of her voice chimed in once again with calming words like, It'll be all right, Patty. There's nothing really there. It's probably just Celia trying to play a trick on you. Patty, you're being silly. 
While Patty would have loved nothing more than to listen to that voice, pleasant and soft, and go back to bed like she should, after all, it was a school night, something told her that she wouldn't be able to sleep, whether she liked it or not. It felt as if the darkness was staring at her, mocking her small and childlike form as she stood stock stiff in the doorway. Her small fingers harshly gripped at the binding of her book, though the object had been forgotten in her hand almost as soon as she had picked it up. For a moment, she almost did listen to the voice, her feet twitching ever so slightly in the direction of her bed. Patty! The young girl's mind seemed to stop as a haunting voice floated up the stairs, down the black hallway and to her unfortunate ears. Goosebumps prickled against the sleeves of her nightgown, and her eyes were the size of quarters bulging out of her skull and barely contained terror. The voice was her mother's, it seemed, soft as warm chocolate, as it was when the woman wasn't angry with either of her daughters. However, something in the tone, as if there was an unexpected bit of spice in the mix, made chills run up and down Patty's spine like frightened mice. It sounded almost too sweet, like her mother was using the sugary tone, to make Patty come out of whatever nook or cranny she had managed to fit into to escape punishment. It was a tone that her mother had never used, not once. That was what was so terrifying. A shaky breath made its way out of the young girl's lips, almost as if she had forced it out, and it was accompanied by a quivering whimper. If she had been anything but a child... Most would have called her pathetic, despite the hypocrisy on most people's parts, considering the chilling situation. However, Patty was, in fact, a child, and such things were sure to frighten her badly, even though she possessed a surprisingly mature mindset. Mom, what is it? Patty's timid voice called out, despite her better judgment her book now tucked securely against her chest. She took a hesitant step into the darkness of the hallway, her eyes frantically scanning for the nearest light switch. She knew for a fact that the nearest switch was all the way down the hall and next to the stairway, but some frantic and panicking part of her mind desperately wished for a miracle to occur and for the light switch to somehow moved to the wall directly outside her doorway, where she could see it and easily turn it on the light. However, as any rational observer would conclude, no such miracle took place, and the hall remained shrouded in black. Patty almost wanted to step back into her room, but her quivering form didn't seem to listen to her head. Her sock-covered feet took another tentative step, from the safety of her bedroom, a decision which she almost immediately regretted. Patty, I need you to come downstairs, okay, sweetheart? The voice crooned yet again, the saccharine lace tone floating into her ears like a sweet-tasting poison. Somehow, Patty's feet moved further from the moonlit shaft, 
that was cast by the window in her bedroom. Her breathing, quickening pace, and her heart in her mouth. She felt her stomach flip uncomfortably as she lost her vision almost completely, one of her hands reaching out blindly for anything that might be in her way, even though she knew the hallway and the rest of the house. Like the back of her hand, everything seemed to be different once the sun went down. One foot after another, the eight-year-old padded ever so slowly down the hall, her face the epitome of panic and childlike fear. So far, she hadn't managed to stub her toe on anything, especially that nasty side table her parents had placed next to her bedroom door, for some odd reason. She'd never bothered to ask them, but its legs gave some rather nasty bruises if you weren't careful. Patty had learned early on to despise and be watchful of that table, which was surprising, but her mind couldn't find the will to pick the joy out of that. Patty almost let out a shriek when she stuck her right foot out and it didn't land on anything. It almost seemed as if she was going to trip and fall into the infinite abyss of nothingness, so her young mind told her, with a certainty that she couldn't ignore, until it slapped harshly against the wood of what she assumed was the staircase. She gulped harshly, her throat, contracting in an almost painful manner as she paused yet again, her foot frozen on the top stair as she stared blindly into the darkness. Mom, are you still there? Her voice sounded pitifully squeaky, even to her own mind, as she called out, hoping for a positive response, and at the same time wishing that no one would reply at all. It was silent for what seemed like an eternity, and for that moment only, relief flooded through Patty's mind, her shoulders falling from their tensed position. Yes, sweetie, come on downstairs. The tenseness returned with a vengeance as her mother's voice passed through her being like a ghost, chilling her to the bone. The darkness swirled as it always had, before her eyes as her mind swam with thoughts, doubts, contradictions, anything that would somehow convince her not to follow the directions that her mother had given her. Something was definitely not right. Patty was sure of that. But as a young girl, and an inquisitive one at that, she was almost forced to go and investigate, even though every part of her subconscious was screaming at her to simply go back to her room. She had her book. She simply had to go back to bed and pretend that none of this ever happened. Sadly, for once she deemed not to listen to such thoughts, and she crept cautiously down the stairs. The cool tiling of the dining room floor caressed the pads of Patty's feet as she descended onto it. However, it seemed as if it was nothing compared to the shivers running down her spine. Her mind spiraled, and she couldn't seem to focus on anything. It wasn't all that surprising, but it was slightly frustrating to the girl, who was trying to be at least somewhat calm. She wasn't a baby. She could handle a little dark. She wasn't like Celia, who would cry at a flickering light. No, she was older, 
She was braver. She'd be fine. Mom? Hello? A tiny voice echoed off the kitchen walls, her form shaking a bit, like a leaf about to fall off a branch in the middle of autumn. Again it was silent as the grave. Patty heard what sounded like an owl hooting outside the kitchen window, which allowed for some much-appreciated moonlight filter in through the half-closed blinds. She could see the stars reflecting off the smooth wooden surface of the dining table and the glint of the many glass cups within their cupboard. They seemed to shine like stars themselves, and the peacefulness of such an observation did not escape Patty. She felt like she wanted to smile for a small moment until she felt something grasp her shoulder like a vice, making her let out a shriek. The grip felt as cold as ice, though she could definitely say that it didn't feel like a hand. Addie, sweetheart, you shouldn't read so late at night. Her mother's voice seemed to be right beside her ear, though it seemed almost garbled, mixed with something else, something far more sinister than her mother's soft and warm tone. It was then that Patty finally fully concluded that whatever this thing was, it was definitely not her mother. Nothing happened for a few seconds. The grip suddenly released, eliciting another squeak of terror from the small girl. It seemed the terror was over, and she curled into herself a bit as she breathed quick and heavy. Then, suddenly, and like a tidal wave, shadows feeling solid and cold encompassed her like an octopus closing in on its prey, or a Venus flytrap finally closing on the fly which had been led into its maw by the sweet bait the carnivorous plant had produced just for that purpose. Patty didn't even have the time or the breath to let out a screech of terror as the darkness covered her mouth like a gag, taking away both her voice and her air. Everything was cold, oh so cold, and Patty squirmed helplessly. It felt as if many sharp needles were being pressed into her skin all at once, and her skin itself was being pressed into her bones, her organs being smooshed together from the sheer force of whatever was holding her. Her breath was lost to her, and she felt herself gasping for anything to fill her struggling lungs with. Just hold still, Pat. Just hold still. The fake voice cooed in an almost cruel way. Patty, who was struggling to simply remain awake, or alive, her wriggling finally ceasing as she lost control of her body, finally found the resolve to simply open her eyes. What she saw, she simply couldn't believe was real. Two Horrid, yellow eyes peered at her from what seemed to be a never-ending darkness, and an invisible mouth full of sharp teeth grinned at her, impossibly white. There was something odd dripping off of the pointed canines, a thick red substance that could almost be mistaken for paint. It was as if 
It was something straight out of a storybook, or the horror stories that the boys at her school would tell her to scare her. She never had thought that it'd be so terrifying when it was staring right at her, with a smile so malicious and eyes so cold, as cold as the emptiness of space, the void. She knew very well that it wanted to kill her. She also knew that she couldn't do a thing. After all, what could she do against a shadow? Patty felt something dribble past her lips, as her stomach seemed to give way, an impossible pain filling her entire being. Just hold still. Patty was finally able to scream. A gasp slipped past Patty's lips as she sat up from her bed, sweat clinging to her forehead and her bedsheets sticking to her thighs like glue. She simply lay there for a moment, trying to calm her breathing as she stared up at her darkened ceiling. She dazedly began picking out patterns in the bumpy texture, trying to find shapes in the randomness as one might in clouds. It always seemed to help after that nightmare, for some reason that Patty couldn't quite explain. Maybe it was because it gave her something else to focus on, or it was just entertaining enough to be distracting from her fearful mindset. Either way, it was a welcome comfort for her. It had taken years for Patty to get over her experience with that thing, that dreadful summer night. Her parents had actually found her after they heard her scream, only to find her laying in a quivering ball on the tiled floor of the kitchen, looking like she had just been thrown through a window. Neither her mom or her dad had had an explanation for what had to have happened to her, even though they did their best to explain it to the doctor they had taken Patty to almost immediately after she was discovered. However, Patty had insisted that it was a monster, a terrible monster that attacked her in the night, like a shadow that swallowed you up when you least expected it. She had been terrified out of her wits for months afterwards, absolutely refusing to sleep anywhere but her parents' room for the entire period. It took even longer for Patty to learn to sleep without a nightlight. It was only years afterward that Patty, now much older, was able to convince herself that what had happened to her wasn't real. Of course it wasn't, since there was absolutely no way for a shadow to try and kill her. She'd probably been sleepwalking and tripped on something. There was no other explanation that Patty was willing to accept, since she had found that holding on to that irrational fear of the shadow thing would not get her very much sympathy once she had made it to high school. So, in light of that, she pushed the terrible night to the back of her brain, only to resurface when she had nightmares, or those rare instances where she found herself staring at the shadows as they swirled before her eyes, wondering what exactly they could be hiding. Patty ran a hand through her hair with a heavy sigh, forcing herself to sit up in her bed and check the time with a weary glance. She winced harshly when she found out the time to be 3.26 in the morning and let out an annoyed huff. 
The nightmare never really went away, she found. No matter how many times she told herself that what happened that night wasn't real, that it was just a figment of her imagination, the horrific dream would once again present itself to her subconsciousness as she slept, terrorizing her until she woke up in a cold sweat, her heart beating out of her chest and her breath as quick as a rabbit's. Just a dream, Patty. You're fine. It's fun. She muttered to herself, as she almost always did after the dream, and she rubbed her temple carefully with the tips of her fingers. After a moment of silence, she decided that she wouldn't be able to get a wink of sleep any time soon, and that it was in her best interest to read the book that she had brought with her to bed. Her hand stretched out toward her nightstand, fumbling around for a few moments and bumping her fingers into her small side lamp that needed a new light bulb. But she'd worry about that later. She had a flashlight anyways. Patty's face scrunched up for a moment at the thought before shrugging nonchalantly and reaching blindly across her nightstand for the second time. However, her expression shifted yet again, turning from confusion and possibly a bit of display. To abject terror, as realization dawned upon her mind, almost as if a light switch had been flipped in her head. Her book wasn't there, and she lived alone. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I hope you enjoyed Saccharin by an anonymous author, as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got another terrifying tale. This one, yet another anonymous author. In it, we'll meet Calvin, a gentleman going through what he believes is the darkest period of his young life. But as he's about to discover, things can always get worse. Without further ado, I present to you, Death Gave Me a Choice.
death came to me that night, as I sat humbly in a puddle of my own desperate blood and tears. And when I saw him, a tall entity clothed in a robe so black, it reached past the depths of darkness I felt inside my heart. I'd been upset, not about one thing in particular, but multiple things. I made so many mistakes that trying to put myself back together had become harder than reassembling a broken eggshell. A year earlier, I'd lost the most important person in my life, the only girl I truly loved, Penny. I could only blame myself. I'd spent the past year blaming myself for betraying her, betraying her trust. She'd found a new guy, a better guy than I am, one that brought her flowers, took her out on fancy dates, was loyal to her. And all that reminded me of how many chances I used to have to do all those things for her. Six months earlier, the guilt and pain got to me, toward my soul. And to numb the pain, I took sleeping pills with alcohol every night, dreading the moment I'd wake up to another sunny, lovely day. Four months earlier, I'd lost my job and my scholarship because the depression and substance abuse kept me rooted to the spot. I didn't want to face the world where I'd have to watch everyone else swim as I slowly sank. Three months earlier, I lost my friends and family as well. I'd become distant and emotionless. I turned down invites, didn't show up for holiday get-togethers, blew up on anyone who told me I needed help. I was in chaos, and I could only blame myself. One month earlier, I'd bought the small, rectangular case of razors, adding self-abuse to the substance abuse. I'd feel the smallest release when I felt the sharp sting and saw the deep red flow down my wrist. That night, I called my ex-girlfriend, slightly tipsy, but truthful all the same. I told her I loved her. I begged for another chance. I cried harder than I'd cried in months just at the sound of hearing her voice. She told me one thing and one thing only. I don't love you anymore, Calvin, and I never will. She hung up the phone immediately after, and all I could do was stare blankly at the corner of the room. But as everything hit me at once, it hit me harder than a car going full speed. I didn't hesitate. I swallowed the rest of my sleeping pills, gulped down the remaining vodka straight from the bottle, and I used those razors to cut deeper than I'd ever cut. So here I sat, hopeless and alone, but I wasn't alone. I looked down at my bloody wrists for mere seconds, and when I looked back up, he was there. A normal person would have been hysterical and afraid, but I wasn't normal anymore. I wasn't surprised he was there. No, 
I welcomed him. Calvin. He spoke in the most baritone voice I'd ever heard. Lower than the voiceovers on every movie preview. And he said that one word with a disapproving sigh. The way he said it made me feel like a kid again, as if I'd done something and lied about it. But I wasn't lying now, and the proof was in the mess that was myself at that moment. I sobbed shakily. I'm, I'm sorry, I said. For whatever reason, I felt like I had to apologize, so I did. You've spent a long time being sorry, Calvin. But not once did you say sorry to yourself. A crease formed in between my eyebrows as I mulled over what he'd just said. He came to me slowly. He wanted me to see that my only enemy was myself. You give all the souls you come across helpful advice. I thought you were death, not a psychologist. I raised an eyebrow at him, still unnerved by the fact that I was looking into an endless black hole where his face should be. He forced a deep, short laugh. <laughs> no. Mostly just the ones like you. They take it into their own hands to decide fate. It's not up to you, Calvin. So, you give advice to your suicide victims. What does that mean? He sighed again, as if he'd explained it thousands of times before. I'm sure he had. Means you don't get to decide this. It means I'm giving you another perspective. I stood up, curiosity hanging on every word. What perspective would that be? The only way I see things is that I'm... I'm a horrible crap excuse for a human being. So why be afraid of dying when I'm more afraid to live? I had to do this. I needed to do this. And I'm showing you, Calvin, what living can do for you. A hint of persuasion sounded in his voice. Tell me, Death, what do I have to live for? The question came out harshly, but he didn't flinch. Listen closely. What if I told you that you'd make it through this depression? Not fully healed, but controlled by medication and therapy. What if I told you that because you'll overcome this depression, you'll get another job? And the job will pay for the education you dissed. When you're done with that education, you'll be admired. Admired by your friends, your family, and most importantly, your ex-girlfriend. They'll see the greatness in you that you know you have. They'll be proud of that change. You won't be able to look at a bottle of vodka without being sick. And what if I told you that your career will pay for the expensive ring you'll use to propose to your one and only, and you'll be able to give her all the flowers and dates 
and loyalty you failed to give before. Most importantly, what if I told you you'd be able to give her a dream wedding as well, and give her two beautiful children, a boy and a girl? What if I told you you'd be missing out on life by choosing to give up? Tears rent my eyes opaquely. I can be happy again? I asked hopefully, afraid of what the answer might be. But his answer was the biggest relief I'd ever felt. Yes, you can be happy again. I wiped my wet cheeks and cracked a trembling smile. I'd say I want to live. Then I am no longer needed. The finality in his voice diminished the tension I'd felt before. As I grinned wider, I let out a half-cry, half-chuckle. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Now go to the hospital, get your stomach pumped, and seal up your wounds. Goodbye. And in a flash, the black void that was him vanished. For days afterward, I couldn't get rid of that smile. The nurses and doctors that helped me were puzzled by it. A man being treated for a suicide attempt is this happy? I knew to them there was nothing right about it, but I hadn't felt for right in my whole life. Because of my obvious mental health issues, I stayed in the mental ward for a month after I healed physically. Just like Death said, I still had the memories of my depression, but it was nothing the therapy and medication couldn't fix. After I was released, I found a job at a call center that paid slightly more than minimum wage. It wasn't the best of jobs, but I was sure glad to have it. I saved money for a few months and started going to school again in the fall. I was working on a business degree. My friends and family were there to watch me graduate, and I'd never felt more thankful. Finally, I was making people proud again. I wasn't failing. I didn't even drink that night with the rest of my friends. I didn't want to touch another drop of alcohol. I spent that night with the people closest to me, all seated at a large table at the best restaurant in town. And I'm so glad I chose to do so that night. Because our waitress happened to be the girl I missed so badly and still loved. She looked surprised to see me, but she also looked glad. Calvin, she said, staring at me as if I was her long-lost twin. I wanted to smile, too, but I noticed the faint purple under her right eye. It wasn't completely hidden by her beige foundation. She knew I noticed, and before I could say anything, she began taking our orders. Concerned, I told my family and friends as they were leaving that I was going to stay and speak to her. They understood, and after more congratulations, departed. I waited another hour in the twilight-stained parking lot where I could breathe in the fresh spring breeze. She was one of the first to come out, and she noticed me propped next to the entrance, halting her stride. Penny's face lit up, and there were tears in her eyes. I knew you'd wait for me, Cal. 
I know you're a great guy. I think I've always known you had potential, but I guess I was being my own worst enemy. Those words brought back the tiniest memory of what death had told me months prior, that I should say sorry to myself, and she needed to do the same. The past is the past, Penny. No animosity. She looked even more grateful then and reached to hug me. I put a hand on her cheek before she could and gently rubbed the purple under her eye. Did he do this to you? I asked, concerned and pissed off. Penny didn't say a word, but her deep brown eyes said it all. He obviously was over the accommodating boyfriend role and started asking too much of her. But I would become everything she needed and more. I pulled her into a hug and ran my fingers through her long hair. It won't happen again, love. I'm here now. After that night, things were better than they'd ever been between me and Penny. She'd gotten away from her abusive boyfriend, and together we got him the jail sentence he deserved. We'd spend every moment we had to spare with each other, and it was like we'd never even parted. Even our old inside jokes remained the same. With time, I'd saved enough to buy her the most beautiful ring I could find, and I proposed to her. Right in the middle of the local high school football field, where we'd met so many years ago. A field, maybe not the best setting for a proposal, but it meant so much to both of us. Flowers filled our house with fragrant smells. I brought one home every day after work. I made reservations every weekend for dates, and no girl could ever mean as much to me as my penny. The wedding was the one she'd always dreamed of when we were younger. A winter wedding in the snow, everything adorned in blues and whites, and that long-sleeved dress she'd hoped for ever since she saw it in that store window. A year after the marriage, Penny came to me with the best news I'd ever received from her. She was pregnant. We found out it was a girl, and I was every bit the happy father when our Violet came out into the world. Dark hair, just like her mother. Two years later, we had our son, Jackson. He looked like me, with green eyes and a mop of chestnut hair. Violet was over the moon about having a younger sibling. Life was amazing. It was everything death had told me it would be, and more. I chose life the last time I saw him, and life chose me. You can imagine my shock the day I found him standing in front of my work desk. I'd been tapping away on my computer, focused on nothing but my work. He broke that trance. I became a statue, still as Lot's wife after she had turned to salt. After seconds of this vacant stare-off, broke the stillness. Why? He sighed, much like he had the night we'd met, 
that disapproving sigh, but now with a bit of apprehension. Something has occurred, Calvin, something bad. My heart beats swiftly against my ribs. I stop breathing. What do you mean, bad? A million things race through my head at once. My family, my friends, myself. Did something happen to them? Was something going to happen to me? You remember Hale, don't you, Calvin? Hale. That piece of crap I'd put in jail. I hated hearing his name. Yeah, I, I remember that bastard. What about him? Did he finally get what was coming to? He got out of jail, Calvin. The caution and pity in that one sentence couldn't have been good. I stood up from my office chair, flustered. There's no way. He couldn't have gotten out yet. He received 15 years. It's only been nine. Ever heard of good behavior, Calvin? I was enraged. How could this monster be capable of good behavior? And then I remembered. He fooled Penny for a year. He'd been a wolf in sheep's clothing. He was definitely capable of fooling others. I think you need to come with me, Calvin. I didn't waste any time. I followed him, not bothering to tell anyone I was leaving work. My first priority was to make sure the people I loved were okay. But the pieces that were being put together in my mind was anything but okay. I drove 90 all the way home. Beads of sweat had formed across my forehead, and my breathing was loudly audible. Death followed me into the house as I rushed inside, but he said nothing. The living room was a mess of broken vases, the ones which held all the flowers I'd given to Penny, and a million little petals and leaves littered the floor. I was so immensely angry and scared at the same time, scared mostly because the scene in front of me hinted that nothing good could come from it. I screamed terror in my voice. Penny! Father Jack! Where? The master bedroom, Calvin. Death said from somewhere in my peripheral. He pointed to the door at the end of the hall, the door that was now chopped and broken, standing slightly ajar. I sprinted down the hallway and pushed past the door, not worrying about the sharp splinters that dug into my left hand. The light was off. I wish I hadn't turned it on. Because when I did, I was met with sheer horror. Blood. Crimson painted across the white carpet and bed sheets, on the walls, and painted on the bodies of the three people in my life that meant the most to me. The details are too traumatizing to repeat, but the axe that had been used on all of them was left behind, embedded into my wife's skull. I fell to my knees in front of them, racking sobs so hard they made me puke. I just couldn't stop crying. I couldn't speak. I was screaming under the weight of emotional pain. I was hurt. But you said it would be better. I turned to death, screaming and seeing red. 
You said I'd be happy. Why? I sobbed deeply again, unable to contain the lump in my throat. And you were, Calvin. You were happy for several years. But with a life comes chances. Good ones and bad ones. Everyone suffers, Calvin. Suffer? I have nothing to live for anymore. Death? I lost my reasons for living, for working, for loving. That's more than suffering. I couldn't contain the contempt in my voice, and I got dangerously close to that black hole of a face death wore, despite having to look up to see it. You're wrong again, Calvin. I'm here not only for your family, as I do have to do my job. He lifted his bony hands in surrender. But I'm also here for you. What? You already know I'm planning to kill myself once again? Psychologist? I spat at him, every word drenched in hot rage. Actually, yes, I knew you'd try. You'll go get the pistol from the top shelf of your closet. And blow your brains out. You'll do it in a few hours. In this very room. But I have another perspective for you. My mouth hung ajar. Knew my plans. Knew where the pistol was. That I kept for protection. But I couldn't be too surprised. After a moment I crossed my arms and glared. Oh. Another perspective for me, huh? What? What could possibly make me choose life this time? A life that isn't worth living. For the first and last time, death laid a hand on my shoulder. And, although I couldn't see his face, I knew he was looking me right in the eyes. You must live, Calvin, because Hale must die, and you're the one who will make it happen. I thought I heard his lips part into a smile, if he had lips. Death made it clear once again for me. What do you say, Calvin? I smiled then, too. What must have appeared a sick, Sinister grin, but a grin all the same. I'd say I want to live. I hope you enjoyed Death Gave Me a Choice by a very talented anonymous author, as performed by yours truly. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases, 
and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014, and you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs>
If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.